Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Hi, I'm Georgia and I'm bulimic and a compulsive overeater. Nice to see everybody and welcome to our newcomers. Um, I think I'll start with some of my stats. So I have been in um, coming regularly to this program for about 11 years. Um, I have been working the steps for about seven or eight years out of those 11. I, I spent some time just um, visiting for a while. And um, I celebrated my six year, sixth year of continuous abstinence um, in April of this year. And so, as you can see, it, it took me a while um, you know, being in this program and working the steps in order to um, sort of get the continuous abstinence that I have today. And the abstinence that I, um, I have today, as I said, I'm bulimic. And so what my um, sponsor suggested to me when I uh, ended up you know, getting the, the continuous abstinence that I have today is that I pick a bottom line abstinence that is the thing that when I start doing it, I cannot stop. And for me, that is purging. So in the beginning, my abstinence was no purging, no matter what, and that was it. Um, and as time went on, my abstinence has expanded a little bit. Um, I think it's kind of interesting that there were still a lot of things that I did with food that were really harmful to my myself and very uncomfortable. One of the biggest one of them, one thing that I did was I would ruminate where I would eat food, I would bring it back up and I would re-swallow it. Like I would re-chew it and re-swallow it and I would do it over and over and over again and it was making my life miserable. And um, as time went on and as I got, you know, a longer term abstinence and I worked the steps, I started just having less willingness to be that uncomfortable and to be miserable. So I um, added ruminating to my abstinence. Um, I've also, since I started working with another sponsor um, and pregnant right now, and I'm my second pregnant, I feel like I'm like 12 months to 17 months pregnant right now. Um, my, uh, another sponsor of mine, when I switched sponsors, um, to have somebody who could work with me who'd been through, um, pregnancy as a bulimic before, um, she, you know, just suggested that I kind of go through, look at my food again and see like, is there anything that's going, is there anything that's going on with food that's just taken up too much of my time? that I don't want to have to do, I don't want to have to be tied to anymore. And the two things that came up for me was that I was planning my day around going to Yogurt Park, which is a yogurt shop in Berkeley for folks who don't around here. And um, I would wake up in the morning and I would check on Twitter, what's going on at Yogurt Park today? I often wouldn't go, but I would still check. And anyways, I was just like, oh my God, I don't want to have to be thinking about food like that. So I added um, yoga park. So my abstinence is now no purging, no ruminating, and I don't eat yoga park. Um, 
and that works for me. Um, I'll also kind of go through like what my food looks like today for newcomers. Um, today I, for a long time, I guess through my pregnancies and, and nursing, it's been a little bit, my food's looked a little bit different, but for the most part of these past six years, I have eaten three meals a day and no snacks. Um, and what that looks like for me is that I, you know, I have my meals and I have life in between my meals. Um, another thing that I do very consistently, that I was very resistant to for a long time, is I um, commit my food before I eat it. I, um, as a bulimic, and and part of my bulimia was really um, was really restricting for a long time. Um, I was very uh, I I was very resistant to the idea of sharing my food with another person before I ate it. And um, I thought it was gonna get too much weight and too much power to the food. And what I ended up finding was that when I wrote down what I planned to eat and sent it over to my sponsor, what I got was this amazing freedom because then I didn't think for the rest of the day, I already knew what I was eating. So then I only had to think about food at the times that meals came up and then I got to sit down, enjoy my meal and then be done. And, um, man, nope, I had a lot of time in my life. Um, and then, you know, I'm happy to talk about this with anybody after, but, but as I, um, have gone through, uh, my body needing different things, um, as my, my body has changed, I, um, I have, been able to change the way that I eat on a regular basis um, in a way that I never thought I would be able to do before. I listen to my body now about and hear my, to my body tell me when I'm hungry and then I eat when I'm hungry. I never thought I'd be able to do that. Um, and it was terrifying to do that. Uh, I'm still kind of bummed that I have to do that. It's a lot easier to just plan on eating at three times and then eat only at those three times. But um, anyways, my, my, with the help of a sponsor and with the help of coming to this program, I um, have gotten to stay abstinent. My food looks different. My food changes, but what I, my food plan is not my abstinence. And so I've gotten to maintain the same freedom and serenity and peace around food. And I, and the biggest way that I get to main, keep that peace and serenity around food is that I don't keep it to myself. I tell another person, I'm honest with another person. And if I'm like unflinchingly honest about my food with another person, the, the like kind of tendrils of my disease that can creep in that are really about guilt and shame around food and isolation and lying and just like making food way bigger than it actually is in my life. Um, not my life, like food, like a way bigger deal. I'm making food a moral issue. It just, it cannot happen if I'm unflinchingly honest with my sponsor. Um, or at least that's my experience is that like there hasn't been room for that to happen. Um, so I took some notes. I guess I'll try to go back to start and say like what it was like, what happened and what's like now. And um, I, 
what it was like is when I was younger, um, I had a great, I had objectively like a very wonderful life. I feel very blessed. Um, when I was a really little kid, I just, I felt very deeply. And I remember hearing in an OA meeting, um, somebody share that just that as a compulsive overeater, he felt big emotions. And that is something that I really related to. I just felt very deeply. I don't have a lot of memories till I was like eight or nine or 10, but I, I of like places, people and things and events, but I remember how I felt in particular situations. Um, I also had a lot of compulsive tendencies when I was little. Um, I got really obsessive about things. I, and I, I had a lot of, you know, I like needed my plate and my fork and, you know, I needed things to be in certain locations. And I also um, had a lot of fear. I was very afraid of my, for my physical safety. I really thought I was going to get, um, you know, I thought somebody was going to come in and kidnap me. I thought, I was going to go to hell. I was like terrified about my, um, about my safety on this earth and in the, and in the next life. Um, and so I spent a lot of time searching for a way to feel better and searching for some escapes. And for me, what really worked when I was little and what I did a lot was I read books. I read fantasy books. Um, I read series so I could kind of like dig into other people's lives to the point where like my punishment was that I got my books taken away. And my parents, when we would go on family vacations, would limit the number of books I was allowed to bring. And they would say like, um, anyway, so that's what it was like when I was little. And food was not abnormally large for me. I don't remember food being like huge in my mind. Um, a lot of people who come into this program um, early, you know, say that they think that they were born compulsive overeaters. And I think I was born compulsive. I think I was born with addict tendencies. Um, and also looking back, I can see that there were seeds of food being like the addiction of choice for me. In that um, my family, you know, I overate with my family at like big family events, things like Thanksgivings, whatever. And, um, you know, I, I felt this like sense of belonging or sense like that everything was okay. And like, I was normal and just like, like everybody else when I could commiserate with them, like, Oh, my stomach hurts so much. We just ate too much altogether. Um, I also really disliked my body when I was younger. That's the thing that was like there consistently for me. Um, I didn't lose my baby fat as early as other kids. I don't think I was a big kid in particular, but, um, my sister and my cousins that I spent a lot of time with that were just right around my age were a lot thinner than I was. I thought they were beautiful, that I was very ugly, and that um, they all seemed happier. And something about their physical appearance seemed to be like tied to them being happier and being kind of like the leaders in our group. Um, I also, uh, definitely like there were some differences uh reiterated to me that have like I don't think are a big deal I don't really think they remember this as much as I do but they called me Pudge after like a cartoon pig and they called um my sister and my cousins like their nicknames were skin and bones and it just like sort of reiterated to me that I was not okay that there was something wrong with my body and then I definitely had these fantasies that if I had less fat um, on my stomach in particular, 
that everything would be better. And I just have these like really, they're still sad thinking about it now, but I remember kind of sitting down and having this very clear thing. Like if I, if my stomach went only halfway to my thighs of where it actually goes, then everything would be okay. So I should just take a scissors and like cut the fat off. And I just, I mean, I like remember that when I was really little. Um, but again, it wasn't all consuming until I was about, until I got to be a teenager. And um, I will try to wrap the, what it was like up. But I will say that I found food when I like needed an escape, like the fantasy stuff that wasn't working for me anymore. And I ended up putting like a lot of pressure on myself to be perfect. Nobody else did in my life. This was not, it was, it was all on me. Um, but I, there was a lot of chaos around me. I was in a blended family. I all of a sudden moved from two siblings to four siblings. So there were five kids. Um, there was, we moved across the country. We moved away from my dad. Like there was just a lot going on. My house was not a peaceful place to be, nor was it really a safe place to be. Um, like emotionally, uh, of my five siblings, like nobody was okay. Um, there was like suicide attempts. There were like a lot of drugs, a lot of anger, um, a lot of acting out. And I definitely felt like, and there was a lot of fighting in my household. And I definitely felt like pressure to be perfect and to not cause any trouble to not like, you know, rock the boat in any way, shape or form. And so, um, I, and I was also, I have depression in my family. I have high anxiety in my family. And I just absolutely was suffering from depression and had suicidal thoughts myself and all this stuff. And so I, when I discovered food, cause like, I don't know, I was like a teenage girl and other girls were like dieting. I figured it out, and it just did something really different for me than it did for other people. Um, for me, it, I could binge and throw up. And I felt like one, when I was binging, I was like totally this like freedom of like, I can be a bad girl. I can do whatever I want. Like I don't have to be pleasing anybody. And then I also felt like when I purged, Oh my God, I can get away with it. And like, I'm not hurting anybody. And it just really felt like this big escape. Um, 20 minutes left. Okay. Thank you. Um, and so for me, that worked and it like kind of was like a magic pill for like three months. And um, then it became something that I desperately wanted to stop. And it went from like being the thing that was my escape to the thing that I could not escape from. And this disease for me, and for this one, it was absolutely progressive. Um, within a very short period of time, my life was revolving around binging and purging. Um, I don't need to go into all the details on, on what that looked like, but I will say after about four years, I was binging and purging 10 times a day or more. I, um, my typical day was I got up, I wanted to do, I, I, I desperately, wanted to do whatever I could to not have to start eating in the day because I, I, once I started, I just didn't know what was going to happen. Um, every day I woke up with the resolve that I am not going to do this today. And 
and I, I started to not do this, but I just restricted a lot. Um, so I ate as little as possible until, and I only ate the foods that were like, okay, or like good for me to eat, which for me, they were very limited to like lean meats and vegetables. And that was like all that was okay for me to eat. And then every time I ate a bad food, um, I just had to get rid of it. And so I broke, you know, I broke, I was weak. I had to get rid of it. And, and that's how I lived like that. That's what dictated my days. Um, I definitely thought that if I could just get to a specific body size, then like that would be the cure for the binging and purging that I wouldn't have to do it anymore. Um, looking back, I lost my menstrual, like my menstrual cycle stopped. Um, so I was like way too skinny and uh, that didn't, solve it for me. It didn't magically stop the binging and purging for me. Um, I will just say some of the things that I did with food um, to kind of relate in. Um, I definitely, you know, ate food that was out of the trash. I ate food that was too, like still semi-frozen. I ate food that was burned. I ate, I stole other people's food. I did a lot of lying around food. I did a lot of like you know, I would go to the grocery store and I would pretend to be on the phone with people being like, oh, are my, how many people are coming to the party again? And whose birthday is it? And whatever. So I could like, I don't know, fool the grocery clerks into not judging me for getting so much food to um, eat, to binge and purge. And then I also would like lie a lot at drive throughs I would like pretend that there was somebody in the back of the car. <laughs> I don't know what I thought anybody was going to think when they drove up and there was no one in the back of the car. But anyways, I, um, I definitely had a lot of shame around what I did around food, which is why I lied a lot. I also stole a lot of my roommates food and then had to spend like, so there was so much energy on, on not eating, you know, not eating the wrong thing. And then once I did eat the wrong thing on how do I get it out? And I did horrible things to get the food out. Like I, you know, I just would be on my hands and knees at somebody's party. I would have clogged their toilet and I would have to be scooping out vomit from the toilet with my hand. Like, I mean, just so shameful and, um, degrading, you know, and, um, and then the covering it up, you know, like I said, I spent a lot of time covering it up and pretending like everything was okay. And like putting the you know, ice cream, like putting it back, like filling it back up to wherever I thought. So it just was a lot of energy around food. And um, what's hilarious to me is that I didn't get that my, I thought my food was unmanageable and I got that. I didn't register that my life was unmanageable at all. I thought my life was totally fine. Um, I had great grades. I had good boyfriends. I had good friends. I had all this stuff going on. Um, and what that meant for me is it looked like I lived a double life. Like it felt like I lived a double life. One was with, with food and inside my head. And the other one was something I was putting on for everybody else. And it felt really shallow and hollow and empty. And I felt like a fraud. And um, what happened for me was I got introduced to these rooms um, because I had a whole medical team who knew that I was binging and purging at school and they um, told me that, that they were gonna kick me out of school because my health was too fragile. They thought I was gonna 
die and they couldn't um, be responsible for uh, me continuing. They couldn't, they, they were going to, they were kicking me off my insurance, my medical insurance because um, they, I, they couldn't be liable for me anymore unless I went to a treatment center. So I went to treatment centers that were multiple, that were 12 step based. And um, that's how I learned about the 12 steps in OA. And um, I went to multiple, three different treatment centers, inpatient, outpatient. I did a lot of therapy, a lot of, I had a lot of outside help. And um, what I will say about the outside help is that it did not work until I was willing to be helped. And so I wasn't willing at that time. But what they did do for me is I, one, that the biggest thing was that I learned because um, the 24 hour ones, I was like with somebody all the time. So I couldn't physically leave and go throw up. And I learned that I wasn't going to die if I didn't get rid of the food. I really thought I was going to die. I also learned that I wasn't going, like, I don't know what I thought was going to happen, but I learned that if I ate an egg yolk or a pat of butter, if I ate some of the foods that I thought were bad and were going to like make me a horrible person, that I, you know, I was still going to not that it wasn't going to have the, the, the reaction um, and the impact on me that I thought it was going to. And then the other thing that was so important for me is that I had got a lot of good outside help there on my, my mental stuff and I stopped wanting to die. And when I stopped wanting to die, I got scared of dying because I, I started hearing what all the doctors were telling me about what I was doing to myself. And um, I stopped purging cold turkey and I stopped for years. Um, no, no, whatever. I, I, I white knuckled it for years. And um, once I stopped purging, my life started getting a lot bigger. Like, and um, once my life got bigger, what ended up happening for me is that when my life got bigger and I didn't have a program to help me live life on life's terms, I turned right back to food. And um, so I had moved, I had a great job, I had all this stuff going on, and I knew that OA was there. And so I, um, when I started purging again, and um, I knew where to go. So I came back, and what was so important for me with Overeaters Anonymous is that the biggest thing when I walked into the room that I heard was take what you like and leave the rest. And that made it so hard for me to justify leaving because all of the things that was wrong with this program. <laughs> um, so I came in and what I liked was being around people who seemed sane. I liked um, having one hour for me. I came once a week for a long time. I liked having one hour a week where I just felt my whole body relax. I was never relaxed and I just could breathe for an hour. And I felt like I didn't have to be so ashamed of everything that I did and everything that I thought and everything that I did with food. And um, cause I felt like I belonged and I, that was enough for me for years. Like that's all I, you know, and I like graduates started coming more. And then when I got around the rooms and I saw people who came in at about the same time as I did, and they had been working the steps and they're, like their lives were getting better, but mostly they just seemed happier. They said they had this like peace and serenity and this ability to live in the present that I 
wanted. And so I um, got willing to work the steps. So I got a sponsor and I started working the steps. And um, for me, it took me a long time to work steps one, two, and three. And the way that I, you know, like the easiest way for me to work steps one, two, and three was the, the verbiage of I can't, God can, I think I'll let God. And for anybody else who doesn't like the word God, higher power, love, being, whatever. Um, and I had to act as if for a lot with steps um, one, two, and three. Uh, well, one, I guess I will say with step one, one thing that was really big for me. So step one is, um, okay, I came to believe powerless. Okay. Thank you. Powerless over food and that our lives um, were unmanageable. And uh, I was very afraid of taking step one because I felt like if I admitted I was powerless, then I would be dropping, like stepping off into a, like into an abyss. Like I was doing everything I could to hold on to power, but I, I just, it was like, I was so thick headed. I couldn't see that after the powerless part, there were all the other steps. And so like, I just, it took me a long time to get the, like, I can't, but something else can. And so when I, once I admit that I can't do this, that I'm totally powerless, then I get, like, I get willing, I get enveloped into this whole other, I get handed this whole, like, way to live life. And, um, anyway, so it took me a while. I also think it's hilarious, again, looking back. I just was like, well, well I don't know what you're talking about. My life's not unmanageable. But, like, I had all these relationships, and I never had a situation in a relationship where I was, like, listening to what the other person was saying. Like, I was always like, thinking about myself. So like my relationships weren't that deep. And then like, well, I worked, but I spent half of my work in the bathroom throwing up. So like, I wasn't really exactly like performing at my best anyway. So that was helpful for me to see that, um, you know, like it, it wasn't, it wasn't just food. It wasn't like if food is fixed, then everything is better. Like it was helpful for me to see that, but it was about my life too. And um, then for steps two and steps three for like, you know, the God can, I think I'll let God, I just really had to act as if for a long time. And it was super helpful to be in these rooms and to see other people, like to have other people give me suggestions for how to act as if. And the biggest thing for me in acting as if was like, my sponsor was never my higher power, but I, um, like the, the biggest thing for me of like letting go of my own will and, and like turning it over to something or someone else was turning over my food, was sending my food every morning. And my sponsor had me do something. I think I've shared this in these rooms called A-E-I-O-U-Y, which is A is how I'm going to say, how am I going to stay abstinent today? E is um, exercise, moving my body. And for me, moving my body is um, a really important way. I, when I'm in my disease I'm only in my head and when I move my body I somehow like I just get connected that's a way I can power I can connect to the earth I can connect to nature and I can remember uh, it's just important for me um I is what am I going to do for myself and my goodness it was very hard when I started doing this um commitment every day to come up with anything I could do for myself and, um, and, and now it's like, now it's like one of my favorite things that I do every day. Um, 
O is what can I do for others? U is understanding uh, kind of like what's going on for me today and why is gratitude. And why was also one of the hardest things for coming up with what I'm grateful for. It was also a very hard thing for me to start um, putting into practice, like doing as a practice every day. And um, anyways, it, I just had this plan of action and it was a really amazing way to say, I can't do it by myself. Um, you know, with the help of somebody else and somebody else's guidance, and I'm willing to follow somebody else's guidance, I can. And then I like would turn it over. And once I made those commitments, that gave me a shape for what I needed to do every day. Um, and then step four on like cleaning house, that is when I got my long-term abstinence. Uh, that's when it started was like halfway through writing out step four. And Step four was really big for me. Um, I did it through the big book. It was really important or like just kind of huge for me to, to be honest about all the stuff that I had been ashamed of for, I've been resentful about, but, but like a lot of the things that I was resentful about and that I was angry at other people, I was really ashamed of myself. I was really felt a lot of guilt about it. And, um, and I just, to be totally honest about the things that were my deepest, darkest secrets, to be honest about what my part was and to right size my part and my deepest, darkest secrets, and then to share them with another person in step five and to have the other person, I'm not like the other person who I shared them with was like absolutely wonderful, but like it didn't really matter to them. Like they didn't, they loved me before they loved me after they didn't really react to some of the things I thought were like the most shocking things in the world that I had done. And so they just received this like confession basically. And, um, and it was so freeing. Um, and the experience of, of sharing that honestly with another person and not being rejected just helped me build trust that in relationships, I mean, it just helped me build trust. Um, and then after I shared my step five, my sponsor handed me a little slip of paper and that little slip of paper was the list of all my character defects, which was also nice because I had this like, you know, I love you. Like you're okay. Everything's okay. Also you have some part, like you have some parts here. And if you don't want to have to keep reliving this stuff, here are the things that, you know, you can ask to be removed and then basically just work steps one through three on your character defects. You know, I can't higher power can, I think I'll let God. And, um, what was also very helpful for me with a lot of my character defects, which the ones that showed up a lot for me, um, I'm really grateful. So I first worked my work, the, the sixth and seventh step and identified some of my character defects, like, I don't know, five years ago or something. And, um, many of the things that are on that list are no longer things that I have to deal with on a regular basis. One of them was I used to use my body for my sexuality to like get what I thought I needed. Often I would use it in work. I would use, and that is just like, that is totally gone. Um, it might have to do with the fact that I'm a little older, but, um, but uh, some of them are recurring. So there were like a lot of them that were like that, that are just gone. Um, some of them are recurring and ego for me is one that just still shows up all the time. 
the other one that is um, that I'll say that was really helpful for me that like, one of them that showed up a lot was body image as a character defect and my sponsor had me work it as a character defect and um, it, it I think it's like a form of ego and of selfishness but just to be so obsessed with my body and um, it was so helpful to me because she gave me in handing me these character defects like list we also got to like come up with some actions that I could do on a regular basis that could be me getting ready to do my part to let them go. And so some of the things um, that I did on a daily basis, like around my body image is I used to pinch, um, like pinch my fat a lot. And I also used to look at every single mirror, like every reflective surface. Um, and I just, I didn't, didn't do it perfectly, but I just gradually, you know, like asked for help stopping doing those things. When I reg registered, I was doing them. I, I held off and, um, and I, I, I took some action and I also ended up having a lot of the body image obsession relieved. I still don't like sit there and look at myself and be like, Hey, hot stuff. Like, how are you? But I don't have to think about, I don't wake up hating my body every day anymore. I also very rarely let my body dictate, let how I feel about my body in the moment, like, I don't know, after I've eaten or before I've eaten, dictate whether or not I'm going to go out and live my life. So I used to be like, well, I can't go outside. I hear I can't, you know, go see friends or I can't do X, Y, or Z. And I just, it doesn't dictate my life anymore. I will say being pregnant, um, and having a kid has really changed how I'm being pregnant again has really changed my respect for my body. I'm really glad I got to do all of that body image work before this. Um, and it's totally not perfect. Like I've had a lot of peace and serenity around it. And I also have had some times where my stomach gets bigger and I'm just like shocked that I'm six months pregnant or now I'm like eight months, eight months pregnant. And I'm like, well, my stomach is huge. I'm fat. <laughs> and it's like, you know, but I don't have to. Um, so, so what I'm saying is like the body image stuff doesn't completely gone away. And that's my experience with many of my character defects that are kind of recurring, but I can like laugh about it now. And I also, it doesn't have to ruin my day. It's like, well, yeah, you're pregnant. Like, okay, that's what happened. Like, that's what you signed up for. And, and like, I can be nice about myself to be like, you know what? That's kind of uncomfortable. Time. Okay. Um, so I'll wrap up with saying like, what's different today is instead of reacting and beating myself up about things, what I get to do on a daily basis is treat myself with love and respect, um, around food and then around other things that come up in life. And so instead of saying, um, you know, I'm a bad person because I uh, had X, Y, or Z thought, I just get to say like, okay, well, that's okay. Like that's a habit that like, that's okay. And you're going to be fine. Like, what's the next thing? Like, what, what's next today? And that means that I get to live my life. Um, so I'm just really grateful because the stuff that I looked at, like the reason why I wanted to start working these steps is because I saw people have peace and serenity and an ability to live in the present. And I 
every single day have peace and serenity and an ability to live in the present. And like, that is a huge gift of this program. Thanks. Now's the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Please type your questions for our speaker into the Zoom chat box. So one came up. Um, the question is around step two. I'm wondering how how you're doing today. Oh, so um, the whole question is, I can tell we grew up in the same religion. Around step two, I'm wondering how you're doing today with the conditioning that comes with that religion. Um, that's a great question. And um, today, I... Uh, I, so I grew up with a, um, a kind of image of a God. Uh, I grew up, I grew up going to church in a religion that told me what God was and what God looked like. And like, you know, the characteristics of a higher power of God. And um, step two has been one of the, coming up with a God of my own understanding has been one of the hardest things for me to, in this program. Um, and it's something I work on all the time now. I want to have a, and what is so helpful for me is that I, um, I just had to let go of uh, thinking that there was a very clear, solid answer of exactly what higher power looked like <laughs> and, um, you know, like the characteristics of a higher power. Um, and the other thing for me is that I kind of like wanted to really know if I'm going to believe in this higher power, is it the right higher power? And is it a higher power that where there's going to be an afterlife? Like that was very, is very important to me. And I have just had to go with like, I'm never going to know that. Like, I just, I'm not going to know that till after I die. So what I can do today is I can identify a higher power that I want and the higher power that I want is one that loves me no matter what, one that wants the best for me no matter what, and one that is available to me at all times. And um, it's been very important for me to be able and helpful these days for me to be able to visual have a visual of a higher power. And for me, what works and has been working is um, trees remind me of a higher power. Uh, like trees are a good visualization of my higher power. They're all over the place. And, um, and there's something about like this stoicism, the strength and the, um, yeah, that they're, that they're kind of like everywhere I look and that has to do with where I live. But, um, that's just been really helpful for me. And then it's also helpful for me to kind of every, I have to like recondition myself a lot, um, because I want the certainty. And I was told when I was younger, there is certainty of, um, about God and religion and higher power. And um, I just have to go back to like, this is a one day at a time thing. And all that matters is, can I have a spiritual connection today? Um, the next question is, you spoke of dealing with a lot of fear as a child. When fear comes up for you now, how do you use the program to deal with it? It's also another great question. Um, one thing about that I, uh, was told, um, or was helped, you know, one thing a sponsor really helped me with, with dealing with a lot of fear is, um, 
she gently recommended to me that I not, that I refrain from um, doing a lot of things that make the fear bigger in my head. So I used to have a lot of fear about how people could do horrible things to each other. And then every night before I would go to bed, I would read books about genocide. And she was like, maybe don't do that for like six months and see if it, you know, so I don't, um, I refrain from feeding the fear is one of the things that I do today on a regular basis. And then the other thing that I really do is I, um, I ask my higher power for reality check. Um, a lot of times I get really in a lot of fear because I get a, like I start spiraling, you know, I think like, Oh my gosh, I messed up at work. And then I spiral into like, my boss is going to be so mad. They're going to fire me. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to be in the street. I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to, and then I'm going to die. And um, when I can, can ask higher power for like to step back and get a reality check, it just right sizes things. And so I don't spiral into the fear as much. Um, and then lastly, the thing that I do a lot when fear comes up is I ask for help. Um, I've got a lot of stuff going on with my family right now. My dad is, is, um, is, I should be in another 12 step program because my dad, my relationship with my dad and I just get to ask other fellows to sit with me. And, um, and I guess the last thing I'll say there is one of the things that I heard at a meeting that was like, so cool. This person talked about how, um, like fear for me is really real, but it's also like a, a feeling I can get and then it can pass. And they talked about this idea of like standing there and um, holding on to like an anchor. And in my case, cause it's a, it's like a tree. It's like, I can imagine holding onto a tree and feeling like all the things that I'm afraid of wash over me and then they pass and they're gone. Like it's done. And so there's an end to it. Um, anyways, that's it. Um, question, do you ever feel the need to refresh your program? I do. Um, my program was, um, uh, so I had this, like, I just had a, a way of working program that really, really worked for me maybe four or five years, four, five, like five years ago. Um, I had a lot, I was single. I like had a lot of, I just had a lot of time on my hand and hands and, um, and I got to I got to, to go to a lot of meetings. I just got to work program in a way that was really um, fruitful for me. And, and um, I could do more meditation and I, my life changed, all I'm going to say is my life changed after I had a kid and I got, I had less time on my hands for like peaceful meditative moments. And so what has been very helpful for me to do, um, to work through with my sponsor these days is to figure out how to weave program into things on a daily basis where like maybe before they used to take a lot more time, but I, I, I can do it in different ways. And so for me, that's refreshing my program. So one of the things that somebody talked to me about was like how they prayed, they picked one thing that they did every day, like making your bed or showering or whatever. 
And like that, they tied that to connecting to their higher power and praying. And so like that's been super helpful for me to just pick that one thing and then to do it on a regular basis. Um, because I don't know what my mornings are, are going to look like. I don't know if I can get up at six or six thirty or seven. And you know, I just, I don't know what my mornings are going to look like anymore. And, um, another thing that has been really helpful is to keep getting reminded by my sponsors and by myself that like the more time I put into program, like what I put into my program and into my self care, I get back like, like tenfold or more. So every time I'm like, I'm too busy to go to a meeting. It's like, I go to a meeting and then my whole, I feel so much more space in my head and time in my head. Um, so that's very, very helpful. Cause a lot of times when I, what I think about when life gets big, which is a result of working these steps and having this program is that my life gets to get big. Um, I think like, well, I don't have less time <laughs> for program. And like, I kind of have to reset really regularly and just be reminded that that's not true. And then I lastly say, I have like the best partner in the world who's totally normal with like food, like just everything. It's very bizarre to me, but it's very helpful to have people around me in these rooms and outside of these rooms where he'll kind of gently remind me if I start getting a little crazy, he'll be like, have you gone to your meetings lately? <laughs> you know, and it's really nice to have that support too. And sort of like recognition from the outside world of like how much more sane I am when I, work this. Um, and there's one more question and I'll try to answer it very quickly because I know it's 727. What's your relationship with the scale? Do you weigh yourself and do you measure food? And I have a terrible relationship with the scale. So I have not weighed myself in, um, I don't know, 15 years. Um, and that works for me when I go into the doctor's office um, because I just, no number is the right number. And I thought when I got pregnant the first time that I, um, that it, that it was going to be a help, it was going to be a helpful tool. Like it could be information for me, like it is for some other people. And it was not. Um, so I heard my weight one time, it was not the right weight. And, um, I obsessed about it. And so then I just told my doctor, you know, um, you just need to tell me if there's a major problem with my weight. Like, I don't even want you to talk to me about what my body looks like, like with pregnancy. Um, and, and I think that if I, um, got into a situation where I was unhealthy, like a medical, like a medical professional told me I needed to be in a healthier space, I would work with a sponsor to reassess that, but that's just not a situation I've been in.